Um, I wanted to say this before we get into God's word. Um, Pastor Jason has said this many times, but you know, we don't take it lightly being up here, um, sharing God's word from this platform with each of you. Um, and the last thing that we want is to uh, fill people's spiritual stomachs with emotion so that they become addicted to the experience of church rather than falling more in love with Jesus. You with me? And so, you know, I hope that every time someone comes on this campus for anything, I hope it's a great experience. I really do. Like, I mean, we, ha- we have amazing things happening. You know, Glow Women's Group and Recovery Group and Wednesday Night's Anchor uh, Youth Group and Men's Bible Study and Food Pantry and Discover Class and Financial Peace University and all kinds of kids' activities happening throughout the week and everything. And I hope that every time someone attends one of those things, it's a great experience, right? But I hope more than anything that we aren't tying our relationship with God to experiences and programs that the church provides. Yeah? And so, man, we we, we need to... Man, this is for me too, okay? Because I love church. I mean, heck, I work for one, right? Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it, and I believe in the church, and it's important. But church is not your relationship with God. It's just a small part, right? And so, man, we would be doing an, uh, a bad job if, if we didn't just remind all of us that this is all about Jesus, all right, and, and it can't be about just gathering together once a week or coming to a life group or whatever. Now, those things are important, and you should, right? But it's all about Jesus, all about Jesus. Amen? Awesome. So before we get into God's word, let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you for uh, what you have in store for us today. Thank you, God, that your word is alive, and it's living, and it's active. And I thank you, Father, that as we get into your word today, that you're going to convict us and challenge us and encourage us and empower us. And I thank you, Lord, that when we leave this place, we'll be better than uh, when we came in. It's all for your glory in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, this is uh, some some neat uh, information. Um, There are over 30 recorded miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. And this is the part that I had to like, like double take a little bit. There's actually only two of those miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. So over 30 miracles that are recorded, but only two of them made the cut for all four Gospels. And it's neat because when you look at each of these miracles, you know, and when they're recorded in multiple Gospels, you see different angles and, and different um, vantage points. Uh, but the two that that are recorded in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first and foremost and most important is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like, that's the ultimate miracle. Amen? Like, he died for our sin. He took away uh, it all and, and, and handled it on the cross. And then he rose again. He kicked death in the teeth. Amen? And, and we have the victory now because of that. So that's miracle number one. That's most important. That's in all four Gospels. But... The, the other miracle that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and again, I believe that everything that is in the Bible, there's a reason it's there. And so there's no coincidence that this miracle is in all four Gospels. So I believe that we can really get something and learn something uh, specifically from this. And it, it might be familiar to you, uh, whether or not you were raised in church or you did the Sunday school thing as a kid or whatever, but it's the feeding of the 5,000. That's a miracle that is in all four Gospels, and um, it's something that we may overlook uh, in, in the account because oftentimes when we read the Bible, 
I know for me, uh, sometimes I'll open up the Bible and I'll just I'll find the the verse or the passage that I want to read, and I'll I'll forget to read a little bit before that so that I can see you know the context of it and and like wow this is really what's going on to set all this up. So that's what I want to do before we get into the feeding of the five thousand is just to kind of set up what is going on here. Um, so before we read that, Jesus he he gets the news that his his cousin John uh, has been murdered. Uh, John the Baptist was beheaded, and this is terrible news, and, and it obviously affected Jesus because it says that he got on a boat and departed to um, a place of solitude, uh, probably to mourn, probably to pray. And uh, there's something amazing that happens here uh, leading into this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And that's what we're going to look at right now. And it is in uh, Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Wow. So Jesus, he's clearly dealing with you know, the loss of a, of a loved one, of a family member. Uh, and that's not easy for anybody, right? And, and I think this is an important um, point is that it shows his humanity here. He is definitely all God, but he's all man in this. And so he's hurting. And in the middle of his need, he sees the needs of other people. And, and that's a trend that Jesus constantly has throughout his life. And, and it's such a lesson that we can learn, amen? Like we all have struggles and we all deal with stuff. And maybe it is something really heavy, like the loss of a loved one, or, or maybe an illness, or, or whatever. And, and it's not making light of that. Man, Jesus, and he wants to be with you during that and, and, and comfort you and give you peace. But if we aren't careful, those, those things will cause us to become so inwardly focused that we forget that there are people all around us who are hurting too. And God wants to use that to, to help you reach out to other people. And so it says that he was moved with compassion, so much so that he began to teach them and to be with them and to heal them. And that's just a beautiful thing. Amen? And so in uh, Matthew 14, 15, uh, moving on with this passage, says this. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> this is such a great story. I love this. So the disciples are, are seeing, you know, okay, there's a lot of people here, you know, and it's called the feeding of the 5,000, but it says 5,000 men. So clearly there was women and children there. So the, the real number is probably over 10,000 people. So the disciples are looking out and seeing, you know, quite literally a stadium full of people. And they're like, okay, it's getting late. We're in the middle of nowhere. We should probably go ahead and tell everyone to leave so that they can grab dinner on the way home. And Jesus announces, hey, everyone's going to eat. And the disciples are like, um, what? <laughs> like, Mr. Christ, did I hear you right? You know, I don't, how is, how is this going to happen, you know? And then Jesus takes it a step further and says, and you feed them. Like, again, when you read the Bible, you have to read the Bible. Don't just, you know, like this is 12 guys 
And we've already established, you know, through, through many weekends together that most of them, like us, are knuckleheads. And so these 12 guys, Jesus turns to and says, hey, they don't have to go. In fact, you're going to feed them. And this is a multitude, right? And so these dudes are probably like scratching their heads and like, you know, what is going on here? This, this can't be for real. And, and so here's the thing. Whenever I say the word multitudes and 5,000 and 10,000 and whatever, and when you hear about this miracle, Jesus feeding the 5,000, I think the misconception is that these people who are receiving the teaching and now the free dinner is, um, is representing us. Like, that we represent those people. But the truth is, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't represent us. In fact, if we're not careful, we can gather together every weekend and sit in these chairs and say, feed me, feed me. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, feed them, feed them. Right? And so, again, the church is absolutely a place you should come to be fed. Right? That's like a Christian term, you know. Well, I just wasn't getting fed anymore, so I gotta find somewhere else. And to that I have to say, well, you need to grow up a little bit and stop living off of milk because whenever you're mature, you can eat the meat and you can feed yourself too. Amen? And so, yes, you should come to church to be fed, but it can't stop there. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, hey, you see the multitudes? The ones that aren't even, you know, here in these four walls? You go feed them. Right? And so this is, a, this is really, really great to me. In John 6, Jesus calls out a disciple that doesn't have much attention. He doesn't have the platform. He doesn't have the spotlight. Uh, and you really don't hear this guy's name much until later in the New Testament. Jesus turns the attention now to Philip. And uh, in John chapter 6, starting in verse 5, says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And so stuff right there. I love this. Jesus, he already knows that he's about to blow everyone's minds, you know. Oh, yeah, I know there's a lot of people here, but everyone's going to eat, and we're going to have leftovers, and it's going to be cool. But I'm going to turn the attention to Philip real quick and just see where his faith is at. And so he says, hey, where are we going to uh, get the food? And, and Philip answers much like we would. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So Philip answers in the natural, which makes sense. He's looking out and he's seeing thousands upon thousands of people. And Jesus asks him a straightforward question. Hey, you know, where are we going to get the, the food to feed these people? And, and he's like, listen, this amount of money isn't even enough to feed everybody just a little bit, right? And so why is the attention on Philip in this moment? And, and this is what I, I like to think. If Jesus would have turned the attention to, you know, a more prominent disciple, like let's say Peter, for instance, you know, Peter, the boisterous, loud mouth, the rock, Peter. If, if Jesus would have turned the attention to him, Peter probably would have gone and found somebody in the crowd who had some food and then threatened them or beat them up and then taken the food and then be like, you know, you'll be blessed for it, don't worry. And then, you know, here, Lord, you know, this is what I got. Or, or if, if Jesus would have turned to John, John the Beloved, oh, he's all about the love, you know? And John would just go and, and become best buds with somebody who had food. And like, hey, listen, by the way, you know, uh, Jesus, I think he's about to do something really great. And, you know, he loves you so much. And, you know, can, and then they would just give him the food, right? So, so why, why is Jesus turning the, the attention to Philip? 
who doesn't have the platform, who doesn't have the spotlight, who doesn't have the, the prominence such as John and, and Peter. And this is why, I think, because Jesus is training disciples. He's training men. And maybe you're here today, and you're a follower of Christ, and you're hearing now that you're not part of the multitude that's being fed. You're actually a disciple who's supposed to go and, and feed the multitude, and you feel inadequate, or you feel like, yeah, I don't think I can do that, or I'm not a preacher, or I'm not a teacher, or I'm a pretty shy person. You know, and all those things are, are fine. You've got to remind yourself, though, that you've got Jesus with you, right? You have Jesus, who is the master of miracles, and he wants to do something pretty amazing, and all it takes is your willingness. Jesus can work the miraculous through your willingness. Amen? Wow. He, he absolutely can. See, a lot of times, we, we discount the fact that, you know, well, all I have is just, you know, a willing heart. You know, that's all God asks for. He, you know, you don't have to have a, a degree or, you know, you don't have to have a strong speaking voice or you don't have to be a people person even. You, Jesus just wants to use you if you're willing. And, and I think that that's where a lot of Christians today miss it. You're, you're missing opportunities. God wants to use you. Like every person, I'm, I'm not singling anyone out in here. I'm saying literally everyone in this room, God wants to use you to impact this world for his kingdom. And you might feel insignificant. You might feel much like Philip who, you know, wow, like why is he asking me this? But I'm telling you, he wants to use you in your circle of influence, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. He wants to use you. We have to be willing because he'll work the miraculous through our willingness. Amen? So in John 6, they bring Jesus a boy's lunch, five loaves and two small fish. So then I imagine the disciples are looking at Jesus like, okay, well, this is what we were able to scrape together. Um, so now what? And, and Jesus blesses it and then is like, all right, start. And then they're like, start. Uh, like, what do you mean? What do you mean by start? And he's like, you know, passing it out, of course. And like, again, you got to imagine this. Don't, don't just read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. Like, how crazy is this? Five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus blesses it and then tells the disciples to begin distributing it. And so um, Mark 6, now, same story, but different, uh, different vantage point. Now in Mark 6, verse 39, says that, He commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. So again, there is multitudes, five to 10,000 people at least, and they had to put them in groups of 50 to 100. So it doesn't say how long it took the 12 disciples to do that, but it was probably much like herding cats, and it probably was uh, no easy task, Right? So if the disciples had to seat the people in groups of 50 to 100, and then they had to distribute the food to these groups. Again, think about this. Don't just read it. Like, that would be, it's like, okay, here's a group of 50. We won't even use the 100 group example. Here's just a group of 50. The disciples would have had to, to get the food and, all right, here's bread, here's a fish. 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 Like 50 times minimal per group. And here's the thing that 
I missed for years, and maybe you've not realized this, the disciples surely would have run out and would have had to return to Jesus to get what they needed to feed the groups. See, if Jesus would have, because again, much like us, we'd be like, hey, Jesus, can you just do the miracle? And all 10,000 people eat. Boom. Like the meal is right there in their hands. But no, that would defeat the purpose because Jesus is training disciples. And so he makes them all sit down in groups of 50 to 100 and then gives them what they need. They go and start distributing the food. But if Jesus would have given them even the amount it would take to feed I don't know, a fourth of that group. It would be truckloads of food. Like the disciples would not have been able to bear that burden. So how amazing is it that Jesus gives them just enough to distribute each group and then, wow, I got to go back to Jesus. And this is what we have to do, guys. We have to remain in him. Jesus is training us and training them that we have to abide in him. For apart from him, we can do nothing. We have to constantly go back to him for what we need. He's not going to just give it all at once because then it would be overwhelming. He's going to give you just enough to complete the assignment that he's given you. Amen? And, that, and that's difficult sometimes. John fifteen five says we must abide, we must remain because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus was training them that they needed to continue to abide in him. And again, that is not a once a week gathering. That is an everyday abiding, daily abiding, remaining connected. We got to realize that he's the source, right? And so what I need for them, I get from him. And what you need for the multitude outside these walls, you get from Jesus. And he's calling you to do that. Right? As a Christian, you are not called to just attend church. As a Christian, you're called to make disciples. It's what the Bible says. Amen? And so we do that by remaining, by abiding, by returning to Jesus every chance we can get to be equipped with what we need to reach people. Amen? God will never give you more than you can handle. Psst. That's not in the Bible. God will never give you more than you can handle is not in the Bible. That's something that many people like saying, and it sounds nice, but it's not biblical. The verse that is usually taken out of context with this is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it's talking about temptation. It says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but God is faithful and will always provide a way out. That's what that, that, that's talking about. Because God will never put you in a situation where sin is the only option. But God will definitely give you more than you can handle. The Bible is full of stories <laughs> of people that God gives more than they can handle. Right? Like, think about the disciples in this situation. This was something way beyond their capability. It was more than they could handle. Yet Jesus was saying, you feed them. What? Yeah, it was more than they can handle. And again, it's because Jesus wants to remind us and train us that we have to abide in him. We have to remain in him. Amen?
You fill with insecurity whenever you become inwardly focused. And truthfully, I hope that we do. I hope that we fill with insecurity if we are inwardly focused. Because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Nothing. So back to the text. Jesus looks at them and said, you give them something to eat. Now I want to take a moment and just talk about the faith element here. The element of faith that, that was required of these disciples. Because again, even if they were a little skeptical, you know, they actually did you know, okay, well, I guess we're going to go look for some food. <laughs> so they're walking around and look. I mean, that took some faith in itself. All right, well, there's 10,000 people, but I guess we'll try to scrape something together. All right, so that took faith. And then it took faith to bring what they found, a boy's lunch. It took faith to bring that to Jesus. All right, so there's faith involved. And so let's look at this New Testament passage. It's familiar to most of us. Hebrews 11.1, 1, talking about faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Now that word substance means this. Substance means the real physical matter of which a person or thing consists. So this verse is saying faith is the real physical matter of what we hope for. And this is an interesting concept, and it's it's hard to wrap my mind around, truthfully, because faith is something that we don't... You know, necessarily see it's not like all right well here's a faith it's just it's you know it's a spiritual thing and yet this is saying that faith is actually the physical matter of what we're hoping for and that's kind of crazy to think about right and so the disciples they could have looked out at the masses and they could have recognized the need wow i mean they did it's getting dark these people need to eat so they knew the need and they could have looked out and said man I hope they get to eat. Oh, man, I, I hope it works out for them. Bless their heart. You know, I, I just hope, right? And, and we like saying things like that. But if we're truly hoping for something, you don't really mean what you're saying unless you have that kind of faith. Like a substance, real, physical matter of what we are hoping for. So follow me for a moment. A lot of times as Christians, we tend to have like this passivity towards faith and the future. Like we say we have faith, but when we look at the state of things today in our world and in our country, right? The, the fear, the confusion, the craziness, the injustice, the racial tension, the, the politics, all of it. And we can look at that and we can say, man, I hope things get better. I hope things work out. Right, But if we are truly sure of what we hope for, and if faith is the real physical matter of what we hope for, like Hebrews 11 says, then we need to stop just saying, I hope things get better. And we need to put action to see that hope become a reality. Because James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. And so, wow, we can look out and see the need. Like the disciples looked out and they recognized, hey, it's getting late. We better send them home because they're getting hungry. I hope they eat. But man, Jesus is saying, no, 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 you feed them. We need to put faith, action to what we're hoping for. Amen? Wow. Listen to this. Evil men do not ask for God's permission before they do something violent and terrible. And yet Christians, most of the time, when they look around and they see the evil all around them in this world today, look up to God and say, God, would you do something? And God is 
with a broken heart looking down and saying, I did do something. I sent my only son, Jesus, to take care of all this. And catch this. I put you on this earth for such a time as this. You are alive today in the year 2016 with all the craziness going on for a reason. And God is looking down saying, hey, you are capable of allowing my power to flow through you to make a real change in this world. You can, you can live with justice and love, mercy, and walk humbly, and you can reach out to this world and actually not just say, I hope things get better, but actually put faith in action to see it get better. Amen? Wow. That's God's heart. Is he wants to see people reached. So how do we do that? Faith, not fear. Faith, not fear. Mark 6, verse 38 says this. Jesus looks at them and says, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. <laughs> now, there's probably, you know, some underlining, like, you know, irritation in that. <laughs> Five, you know, but I, I wanted to give this example. Um, I wanted to actually uh, bring up what I believe they probably had um, then, back in the day. Um, paper bag, <laughs> and uh, I got five dinner rolls here. So this is very authentic to uh, that culture in the day, and uh, and then also I've got two beer battered fish sticks. Right. Yeah, they're already soggy. That's awesome. Um, all right, so can y'all see that? You see it okay? Cool. So I, I wanted to, to do this for two reasons. The first, simply to show how crazy this miracle is. Like, can everyone see this? If you, if you can, maybe the camera can get thrown up there or something. Look at this. <laughs> we got two pieces of fish. And five pieces of bread. Like, this is what they were seeing. They saw 10,000 people who needed to eat, and then they saw this. Right? Have you ever thought about that before? Like, that's why I'm doing this, just so we can think about this. Five loaves and two fish. Now, again, it's, you know, believed that there was over 10,000 people here, but let's just use... You know, the more, you know, the, the smaller figure, the 5,000 men. Let's just use that as an example. That would be like me taking this that you see, blessing it, and then beginning to feed each of you. And you can eat all you want, eat to your fill. And me doing that, all four services this weekend, everyone in this room, all four services this weekend, plus 12 more services. <laughs> From the same source. Like, that's amazing. That is a miracle. Right? And the second reason I wanted to show this is, yes, when feeding the 5,000, Jesus said to disciples, you know, well, you know what do you have? And I believe it, it applies to reaching the multitude outside the church walls. But I also believe this can be applied to something like tithe and offering. Or like this pioneering again initiative that we're doing. Right? Like, when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, what do you have? The disciples didn't say, well, you know, give me a little bit more time, and I'll try to round up some more. 
Or they didn't say, man, you know, I wish I had enough for everybody. They said, we only have five loaves and two fish. Now, do you think Jesus, when he saw what they had, do you think he was like, two fish and one, two, three, four, five. Seriously, guys, five pieces of bread. Not enough. You, in fact, you know what? You better just hold on to that for yourself. See, listen. In our hands, that's all we have. Two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread. But you take what you have in your hands and put it in the master's hands and he makes a miracle. Right? He makes something amazing take place. In your hands, it's for you. In his hands, it's for them from him. Because what I need for them, I get from him. He's our source for everything. Wow. He takes what you have. And if you're willing, remember it's our willingness that he works miracles in. He'll work a miracle. Give God your only and he'll make an all-you-can-eat buffet out of it. It's amazing. So another amazing aspect of this miracle is in Mark 6, verse 42. says, So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. So everyone ate their fill, and then they had, oh, that's an interesting number, 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And the disciples were the ones distributing it, right? Hmm. I think there was 12 of those guys. So check this out. From this, everyone ate to their fill and then had leftovers. You never know what's in a small lunch. Right? Like, do you think the disciples, when they looked at that lunch, were like, all right, two fish, one, two, three, four, five loaves. Guys, we can feed 5,000 people with this. No, no, they did not. I'll just answer that question. No. But they put it in the hands of the master. They were willing to do that. They had the faith to do that. The best way I can explain this is how a mentor of mine said, you can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. Isn't that awesome? Like you can cut open an apple and you can count the seeds. Only God can pick up one of those seeds and tell you how many apples are going to come out of it. You can look in this sack lunch and count the items in this lunch, but only God can count the lunches that will come out of these items. God, oh man. (laughs) You can look at what you have, your situation. I'm, I'm not even talking about tithes and offerings anymore. It can be applied to that, yes. But just in general, your situation, your circumstance, what you've been given, what you're dealing with, you can look at that, and yes, that is what you have in your hands. But when God looks at that, he sees the harvest that will come of that. But you won't see the harvest that will come of that until you put it in his hands. Right? Wow. You can count the Seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in the seeds. The disciples see the multitude and they think of what it'll take to feed everybody, but God provides them with one lunch to start with. 
right? We ask God for breakthrough and blessing, and we expect the big provision. But oftentimes, God's provision is answered through a seed. And we don't like that sometimes, right? We all want God's promises, but we often don't like God's process, (laughs) right? God, feed the multitudes. Just make it appear right there. But his process is, no, make them sit down in groups of 50 and 100 and then keep returning to me so that you could feed them. God is is calling us as a church and as Christians to leave this place and do things for his kingdom. We can't ever lose sight of that. That's why we're alive. That's why we've been saved. First, to be saved, to, to have fellowship with God, but... Right there with it is to, to reach others so that they can share in that, right? God's power is almost always released along the way. So we have to constantly come back to him, remain in him, abide in him for everything we need because he's our life. He's our source. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Maybe today you realize in this moment, that God isn't your source of salvation. Maybe you recognize that there's just a void in your life. And now you know that can only be filled with a relationship with God. Maybe you've never said that prayer, that Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. Would you save me? Would you come and be my Savior, be my Lord? Or maybe you have, but you've wandered off the path. And you need to just return home. So if you're in either of those two categories, and no one's looking around, but let's just, let's just make it right today. Would you just slip your hand up just to recognize that, yeah, that's me. I need him to be my savior. Or I need to come home. Anyone in here? Awesome. Good. I know this message has been primarily for Christians. So if everyone's being honest in here, that means this room is full of his followers. So I just want to close in a prayer, close this message out. Maybe you're believing God for something amazing, whether it's physical healing or a relationship being restored or you know, some type of provision in your life. And what you've been looking at in the natural, is just your five loaves and two fish. It's not much to work with. But we need the faith that is real physical matter and put it in the hands of the master. Or maybe you just needed that reminder today that we're all called to leave this place and reach others. In your hands, all we have is a small lunch, but in his hands, it's enough for everyone. So let's pray today. Would you just open up your heart? whatever you're dealing with, going through, let's just lift that up to him. Jesus, we love you, and we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it challenged us today. God, we pray that you would put that fire in us, God, to reach other people. God, to leave this place and take what you said for real. Lord, you looked at the disciples and said you feed them. So God, today, would we leave this place with just a greater awareness of what you're calling us to? 
And most importantly, really all you're calling us to is just to bring our five loaves and two fish and lay them at your feet. So God, we surrender to you. God, we ask that you would just have your way because we're excited, Lord. We're excited that you would allow us to be part of building your kingdom. And I thank you, Father, for any person in here who's been holding on and believing for a miracle. God, I thank you that we're going to have the faith that is the physical matter of what we're hoping for. So God, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And we pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen.